Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Sunday services. We are currently studying through the book of 2 Thessalonians. Please open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians as we dive into our study this morning. Good morning, everybody. You can open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Father, your children come this morning seeking clarity, seeking direction, seeking an understanding more of your heart, that our hearts might be transformed into your direction, purpose, Lord, future and hope that you've written for us to walk in. So don't allow us to be distracted today. Don't allow us to come with agendas and pre-planned, Lord, um, restrictions to what your spirit would speak and seek to move through us to do. But help us to surrender, trusting that your word is, Lord, not only the all-encompassing purpose and heart of who you are, but it's also, Lord, the guardrails that our lives might be protected and productive for your kingdom and the eternal purpose you've left us here for to accomplish. And Lord, we we ask by your spirit, you just graciously grant us that wisdom and understanding insight and Lord application this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Today's scripture begins with the word finally. Fini. Furthermore, at last already. And I mean, this is kind of how Paul um, always writes and brings it home. He started in chapter one with talking just about the exhortation, the encouragement of what God has done, how he is with us, who he is for us. In fact, the assurance that the sufferings that we go through, and, and he's talking to the Thessalonian church, which were really going through Thessal, they were really going through sufferings and persecutions, and so he's assuring them that that's actually a sign, an assurance, if you would be, that um, they're in Christ. You know, uh, you got to understand when people come at you, especially out of the blue, with um, you know hurt and and agenda of, of just taking you down or whatever, realize that it's, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not you. I mean, if, now, if you've been a jerk, well, they're probably going to come after you. But chances are, if you're walking in Christian love and purpose, they're coming after the Christ in you. And that's what he's saying, basically, is it's, it's evidence of the relationship you have. And so um, don't let that take you out or help or, or make you pull back because the enemy wants nothing more than to dis- discourage you and to disable your faith because it is faith that pleases God. It is why we go everything, go through everything we go through, which is to establish and strengthen our faith because it's more precious than gold that takes us into eternity. So he, he's always, you know, the, the Lord is working in us to always get us to have this, um, this greater sense of who he is in us and through us. And no matter what we go through us, in fact, the encouragement in chapter one was God will repay those that come against him 
in us and the work he's doing through us. It, that was the assurance in there. And then chapter two, again, now typical of Paul's writing, once he's assured us of all that God is going to do, is doing in us, then he is going to teach us the doctrinal truths of that. And chapter two is basically this um, encouragement that as the Holy Spirit is in us and guarantees God's presence in us and working through us, he also assures that us that nothing's going to go down in the day of the Lord until we are taken up out of the way. Because his Holy Spirit, who is in us now, constrains the evil that goes through this world. Now, it isn't just like, it's not just because the Holy Spirit's here that evil is constrained, because we see how this world is getting more and more evil. It is because he is in us, working through us in that restraining force. Because when it talks about he who restrains is going to be removed, it doesn't mean that God the Holy Spirit will be like somehow like vacuum sucked out of this world. You can't remove God, right? I mean, he's God. But the restraining force that we have as believers, and this should be an encouragement as Pastor Jordan brought forth the fact that down here on 93, we have the opportunity in prayer to come against an evil that is in our community in helping those that are supporting, participating, and promoting that evil to be transformed, saved, turned from that, repent, but also to shut it down. That we don't need an abortion clinic in this community, in any community, because it is, it, it's destroying the very thing, the life, the image of God that he's created us in. And so... You know, again, not going off on that, but that's what he's assuring us in chapter two. And now in chapter three, of course, Paul is going to, what he commonly does, bring the practical application. So God's already told us now all that he is in us, what he's going to do to protect us through it, how he is absolutely, you know, protecting us and going to remove us from his wrath upon the earth before it comes. Right. So now what does he ask us to do with that information, knowing that he's in us and absolutely wanting to work through us? Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men from not for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So, finally, brethren, what are we supposed to do with this information? What is Paul asking now? What is God? Remember, Holy Spirit's writing this. Through Paul. So what is he saying? Pray for us. Now this apostle extraordinaire, the guy who could hand out handkerchiefs and people would be healed, the guy who traveled to continents where the name of Jesus had never been spoken and, and planted churches and established them that go on to this day, in fact, moved through those continents, right? This... Um, Apostles, he called himself, born out of time, that God has used in such powerful ways, is saying, hey, pray for us. Meaning, you know, pray for him, pray for the whole team, right? 
not just him. But now, of course, we don't have that option. You and I are not able to pray for Paul. But what this says to us is that our spiritual leaders, those that are doing the work, those that are going out, those that have been out, those that we're working alongside, our co-workers, the work that God even wants to do through us and that his spirit is doing in us, pray for them. Pray for us. Pray for the work. It needs that power behind it. Paul knew, you know, he says in, in the scriptures that the power is not in us. The power is God in us. That's the hope of glory. But we need that prayer because there's nothing in me that can do it. You know, and, and so just talking about, man, this eternal purpose that we have in participating with God's plan that is empowered through prayer. That's why the idea of, man, uh, intercessory prayer is so impactful. You know, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James tells us. We are to be people in prayer for each other and for especially our leaders. In fact, there's two areas of spiritual territory here that he's saying we've got to keep covered. First one is the word of the Lord. He wants us to be praying for evangelism, for the speaking of God's truth. Why? Well, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It needs to go out. You know, testimonials are great. They are something that draws people's attention. Programs usually put into place because something worked in the past. You know, this, this idea of, of, of how things go out, right? But it is the word of God that brings faith. And remember, whenever the Bible is talking about faith, it's not just talking about like, well, I believe in something, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, it's not, it's not just kind of this etherical thinking. He is talking about faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah that brings salvation. So faith is only as good as its focus, right? As its point. And the point of biblical faith, scriptural faith, is always the scripture. It's always Jesus Christ, the truth, the word, become flesh and dwelt among us, right? So that's what he's talking about here. So he's wanting the word of God to go out. How does he want it to go out? He wants it to run swiftly. So Paul, again, like he always does, tends to do, right? He brings along this athletic kind of um, metaphor, this picture we can kind of see of, of an athlete, right? Running, moving out of the starting blocks, man, with like, boom. He wants this word to be going out and going out fast. Like, pray for that, that the word of the Lord really goes out. Now, we have purpose here for that, right? Not only is the church to be doing that in the community, but especially those of you that are involved in Mudman, in how you get an opportunity to pass a burger to somebody and you have a button on that says, ask me about. Now, you don't say, ask me about Jesus, but you say, ask me about what, Cambodia, Uganda, where you've served. We have a room full of missionaries here, right? And the idea is then that testimony gets you a chance to share the word of God. And that stirs up faith. That draws attention to the eternal plan, right? So play that that goes out, pray it goes out swiftly. And that means... The word swiftly means to strive hard, rapidly progress. So we want to move the word of God out, right? So pray it goes out. But then also that it is glorified. Now, that, that's kind of a weird word for us because in our English, we kind of think of glorified as being like, 
glory. You know, you get the idea of lights and angel sounds and it, I don't know, it just sounds like, like production quality, you know. But what the word actually means is it means esteemed, honor, or given worth. It, it means that I'm speaking the word of God here today. It's going out, right? And I talk pretty fast when I'm up here, so it's going out swiftly. Now, if you don't glorify it, or if it's not glorified, which means if it's not esteemed as being worth, it becomes worth less. Right? It accomplishes nothing. You get up, you walk... Now, you don't, but somebody could get up, walk out of here, and it has no effect in their life. See, it has to be given glory. It has to be given worth. It has to be honored. Like, man, that's the... That's the word. That's why, you know, it's very rare that I'm not here on a Sunday. But when I do go to another church, especially if I go to a denominational setting where maybe, let's just say, it happens to be dead. um, If the pastor will read anything from the word of God, I can hear it. It's alive to me. Because doesn't the scripture say that in Hebrews, right? It's living. It's alive, the word of God. You know, this isn't my story. It's his story. It's life, it's the word, and it's living, and it has effect on us, right? And, and so that's why it can transform, or it can actually be just worthless. Now, it's interesting because in Isaiah 55, 11, we're told, God says, my word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go forth from my, from my mouth, it shall not return void, but it will accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things which I sent it. God's word never returns void, he says. Well, then how can you say, Steve, that's worthless? Because it goes out, it goes forth, and for those that receive and believe, right, it transforms and it has the purpose now of, of actually rejuvenating your spirit. It, you know, it's alive, right? But if they don't receive it, they don't respond to it, then it actually confirms their unbelief and judges them. See, the scripture tells us very clear, Jesus came into this world to save the world, not to judge this world. The world, it's already been judged by the truth of God, by the word of God. That's why Jesus didn't come down and just point fingers everywhere and start accusing everybody of everything. The word of God has already judged us and accused us. He came to set us free by accomplishing the law, right? Fulfilling the law in every way. And now by faith and trust in his pure, powerful walk of sinless accomplishment, I'm set free from what this puts on me, the wrath of God. See, but but it never returns void. It always accomplishes its purpose. It's always going to be what God spoke it to be. His truth, right? So it, we got to make sure, man, that our, our hearts receive and don't reject. Because if it rejects the word of God, that word then is, that, that rejection is solidified in us. We were talking about this this morning with the, the men in DTS and how by not receiving the word, in other words, rejecting the word, God will resolve in you your purpose and intent. In other words, he gives you what you want. You want him. You want your life transformed. You want the word to have power and, 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 man, purpose in your life for the kingdom of God. 
Yes and amen. He's all for it. You want to reject it? You want to turn against it? You want to blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit? Sending it out? Which, to blaspheme means to speak against. So it means to talk against and, and, and reject, right? Then God will harden that decision in you also. He gives you what you desire. You understand God offers us this gift of grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's our Heavenly Father's heart, right? But in that, although he chooses us and we are just preordained since before the world was even made, God wanted you to be his. He won't force you to be his. And we have a free will that he won't violate. God's not going to drag anybody into heaven. I know you don't want to come here, but you're going to. Because I love you, so I'm going to force you. That's not love. Love is a responsive action. And so we will then have our hearts hardened, just like Pharaoh, right? We saw that in Exodus 9, that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then in Exodus chapter 9, it says something that's very scary. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Whoa. So God hardened a man to be damned? No, God resolved a man's heart to be what the man wanted it to be. That's what he did. And, and so that's something we all need to be aware of, man. It, it, and, and prayer is the key to making sure that that word is honored. So make sure that you are praying for those in your family that are not saved, that have not received the word of the truth yet. Because Thessalonians, remember, in first and now in second, Paul has encouraged us in that doctrine of having to receive the truth that they not, may not be deceived. There is a participation we have in walking as believers. And that's to believe the word of God and to absolutely follow it to make it advance in our lives and, and have, have effect, right? That's why intercessory prayer is so important and so promoted because it does change things. Now, again, how does God's sovereignty and what he does, because he's God, and my prayer to him for what I believe would happen or that I want to see happen or more importantly that I understand he wants to happen? How do those things come together? I don't know exactly. I just know that anything I pray for according to his will, I get. So isn't God's sovereignty ending up always to be done? It's just that my heart gets transformed more into what that sovereignty agenda is. I don't know. Don't, don't, don't get distracted by it. But the idea, though, is that that's what he's saying that prayer is so important for. That the words goes out and that it, it, it is given worth. That it's glorified. Now, note, it also has another purpose, though, that Paul is saying, pray for us. Pray for the team, right? For protection. Pray for the leaders. We have an enemy. It's not just our flesh. That's funky enough. It's not just the world. That's evil enough. But we literally have a small g God of it, Satan, who has many helpers, the myriads of angels that fell with him that we call demons, that are out there doing a work. 
Now they're roaring around and they're looking for people they can take down and how they can influence good to be bad, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. That's what the scripture tells us, right? But, but the word of God it, you know, and working with prayer, it, it protects. And, and so we want to keep people in prayer and make sure that in every way, man, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but the enemy sure uses them against us. He uses people, right? And, and we can disarm them rather than having them disarm us in our faith, right? And again, now I don't know, well, I do know, and I'm going to tell you why, but it, we can wonder why God doesn't just protect us all the time. You know, like in Job chapter one, when Satan goes to God and God goes, you know, and, he, and, and God's like, have you considered my guy Job? And, he, and he's like, well, pff, you put a hedge around him. Nothing can touch him. Why doesn't God just leave that hedge around me all the time? Right? Well, because James says that as we have these trials, it produces in us patient, patience, which is more precious than gold that, man, it might be proven to glorify God in the end. You know, as the world looks at us go through hard times, as it goes through hard times, but somehow we go through them in joy, with peace, and then victory in the end, they go, how is that possible? We get to glorify God and say, because he has strengthened me through it. I've gotten through this, right? Or Peter tells us even that we have fiery trials that that come upon us and don't consider it strange when they do. Because God wants to, just like metal, prove us, strengthen us through the fire, through the hard times. It's not the prosperity and the goodness that is a testimony of who he is for us. We have that, and that's certainly something that is a blessing and a peace for us. But who he is for us in the hard times, man, that's when it really speaks so loud to this world that's looking on, right? And... They just, they don't understand how we can do it. Well, it's because God gives us the power by his spirit to be able to connect with his plan and purpose in what we go through so we can go through it all the more. Not just with victory, but even with joy. James says that right at the beginning of his talk on it. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. You're like, serious. Yeah, because it's an opportunity to prove who God is. It's a challenge to show the world. Challenge for us. Right? That's what he's talking about. And as others are watching us, hopefully that just inspires the desire for eternal life in them. You know, as they watch us go through fire and not turn into ash, they go, How is that? I want that. And and we need that. It's not you can't just take it for granted that that it, you're just in the safety zone all the time. And I'm sure you realize that. You're not. That's why Jesus, when his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He gave this instruction, Matthew. Now, he gave it in Mark also, but just in Matthew chapter, in Luke, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation. I'm supposed to add, ask God, help us not to in any way grab on or, or go towards the temptations that are all around us, right? But deliver us from the evil one. That's what it specifically says. Deliver me from the evil one. I thought I already was delivered. 
thought I was saved. You are. But the wiles of the devil and the fiery darts that we are told in Scripture come at us and are always trying to work against us are a reality. And so, Lord, I'm asking you, I am surrendering, I am needing your help in making sure that I don't fall victim, that they don't take me out. You know, help me to stand. You know, help me to walk in your righteousness, right? That's what we have to do. And, and we see that, man, the attacks are coming. Deliver us from the unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. Now, it's interesting because Romans tells us in Romans 12, 3, that every man has been dealt a measure of faith. Everybody's got it. So who are we talking about? These guys that don't have faith. We are talking about men who have turned from it, who have gotten unreasonable. In fact, their reasoning of it has made them unreasonable in how they actually now have become wicked. And this is what it's speaking to. So in other words, it's not talking about the heathen that's outside that just hates the church and don't, I don't want to hear about your Jesus, right? It's not talking about that cold soul that the book of Revelation says, now you have a chance to speak warmth to them, hot, you know, fire. It's talking about those in the church that would come against it. Unreasonable means out of place, improper, injurious. Out of place. Fungus among us. Now, that doesn't mean the world just comes in and sits in church and listens to a guy talk for an hour. Who wants to do that on a Sunday morning, especially when the sun's out, right? No, it's talking about those who are seeking to have this life of faith, love hanging around Christian um, principle and lifestyle, but they're not of faith and not of the faith. Remember, it always goes back to Jesus. Not just talking about people that want to believe in something. It's talking about specifically those that believe in Jesus, who is the word. The word becomes flesh, dwelt among us. They don't have faith in this word. They have reasoned in themselves a way around it, a way to avoid, or maybe just a way to ignore what it says. And they are now injurious. Paul says, pray for deliverance from them. Now, does that deliverance just mean, you know, get us away from them? Could. And it also could mean that God would have their hearts to be rekindled and turned back to him. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Probably that's more his plan. So Paul isn't asking for destruction upon those men. He's asking to be delivered, how God would choose to do it. But again, who we are in the midst of that, right? And also wicked. He refers to them as wicked men. This refers to those specifically in the Greek that seek to influence the church. The wickedness that they come in and now would by their place or by their authority or by their influence of people be taking the church away from the word of God, right? Now, the Corinthians were a victim to this. In 1 Corinthians, remember the guy that was sleeping with his stepmother? Yeah, right? Yeah, stepmother. Yeah. And, 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 and Paul and, and the church had been influenced into looking at that as being okay. 
That was love. The church was not going to judge that. The church was going to love him even though he was sleeping with his mom. Okay, stepmother, but it's still creepy. It's wrong. And Paul wrote, remember Paul wrote and said, look, I don't even need to, I'm paraphrasing this, but you know, you you can read it. First Corinthians chapter five. I don't even need to be there. Get him out. Cast him over out to Satan that his flesh might be destroyed, but his soul saved. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So Paul is saying, don't accept this stuff. Don't be influenced by guys that come in and avoid, turn against, or reject the word of God now and make you think this is a new way, this is a modern way, this is a 21st century way. Whatever they're going to say, however they're going to try to look at Christianity, this book, he... The word doesn't change. The same yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow. And that's the, that's the beauty. That's the security. That's, man, where we want to be with God. I don't have to worry about some standard having changed from yesterday or that it will somehow change tomorrow. And yet that's how some would come with their influence and be talking to the church. And, and, and Paul is saying, man, pray that this doesn't happen. And then goes on in verse 3, which, of course, is the big savior right there of it, is saying, but God is faithful. So pray for this because God is faithful. He will protect us. He will protect the church. And, oh, man, have I seen this over my experience of walking, you know, with the Lord, serving the Lord, especially being in the position of pastor, that men, women, too, you know, but people come into the church with their own agenda. And they want to influence And they want to influence with a wickedness. Now, they use the word of God, but but it's not glorified. It's not honored as the word of God. Derek talked about this last week, right? This guy that holds up the word of God. This is the word of God. I am what it says I am, and I am who it is, and I don't even know what he says. But he says something like that, and everybody goes, yes, amen. And then he teaches a watered-down gospel that doesn't even bring the truth to allow all the Muslims that are, that are sitting in his front rows to hear that they're going into eternal damnation without receiving the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who no man comes to the Father except through. Influenced the church. It's a big church. And a lot of people watch it on Sunday mornings as they stay at home on TV and believe that that's all church is, is right. I just have to hear a message and I can check that off for the week. We are the church. And that's why Paul is writing to this, the application of what these truths mean in us and how they affect our lives needs to go out to affect other people's lives. Christ in us, our hope of glory. Not that we just sit and listen and it's like, well, that was good today. He, he was funny. No, he wasn't as funny as last week, but it was all right. You know? I mean, this is what, how some people judge the church. Instead of, what did God say to you? How did he speak to you? What truth did you grasp onto? What did he want you to hear? What convicted you? These are all the things that we're supposed to be aware of, right? But I've seen guys come in and praise God for the knowledge of what it is to know him through the teaching of his word that you can sit out there and somebody can say, you, you know, what about, the, what about this way? Or have you tried that? And you're like, no way. That's like, get behind me, Satan. That's wrong. I remember this one guy came to Blue Island once, young guy, 
came in, sat for a couple of weeks. He's in his late 20s. So he started connecting with other young guys in the church. You know, we had a lot of young guys. And so right away, you know, he's like, hey, you know, let me get involved. So he would come and hang around them and he would go to their Bible study or he would, you know, help out with work projects. And then pretty soon he wanted to have a, hey, want to come over to my place? We'll have a Bible study. Okay, let's come over to his place. So then he has the guys come over to his place and, and they get the word out and he, you know, he's kind of, you know, teaching some stuff out of the word. And then pretty soon a couple of weeks go by and he's like, hey, you know, this is practically a church. How about if you guys start tithing? I don't think we're going to do that. And, for, and this was his agenda. He was going to come in, draw young, young people unto himself so that they could start tithing to him, his church, that he's now begun. And, and praise God, because the, the, the guys were just like, are you out of your mind? You know, it's like, no way. So, and of course, he left the church, you know. Now, unfortunately, there's also people that you have to ask to leave the church because they come in with their agenda and they want to teach what they believe is their personal revelation or insight into the word that doesn't line up with church history or other church fathers that have taught the scriptures or what the, the truths of the scripture clearly do point out. And they want to deliver some new revelation they've had, you know, and you have to say, I'm sorry, but you can't teach that here. And, you know, if you can't keep quiet and sit and learn with us, then you should find another fellowship where you can. Now, I've had that experience, and sure enough, they go and they find another fellowship, and then you hear later on from that pastor that they did nothing but come in and cause trouble. You know, why? Well, maybe it's because nobody was praying, Lord, deliver us from these men. There is a purpose why Paul writes these things to us. We got to be careful. This is the, the beauty of God in His Word is that you know as He, as he says in, in Psalm one thirty eight verse two, I hold it higher than my name. I love that verse. Personally, love it. Why? Because it means that nobody can ever say to me, "Thus saith the Lord," and I go, "Whoa, okay, this is going to be powerful." If it doesn't line up with His Word. I don't replay that message at all. Now, I've had people come and say, I got a message from the Lord. I got a word from the Lord, okay? Boom, it comes right out of the scripture. It bears witness to the spirit of God living in me. And I go, that was God, wow, right? And, and his prophetic gifts, he talks about them in, in Corinthians. First, first Corinthians 12 that, and, and 14, those are the two places that you really get the understanding of the prophetic gifts. And he says, and Paul, well, Paul told us in, in 1 Thessalonians, don't reject prophecy. Like, don't shut that down. This is a way that God literally speaks to people, right? But that is how God speaks to people. This is how God speaks to people. This is prophetic, right? Pro- prophetic word is not foretelling, anymore as much as foretelling, right? Back in the Old Testament, it was foretelling. God's going to do this, then he's going to do this, and then he's going to do this because they did that. And you go like, whoa. And then when he does it, you go, whoa, he did it, right? Now he tells what he's done, and you go, whoa, I know that's for me. I can hear it. I can hear him. I can hear him speaking to me. That's what we have to so focus on, Right? And, and again, if the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, don't, don't worry about trying to somehow hold on to it, right? 
Now, he also, he's faithful that he will establish you with you and guard you with the word of God. Establish means to make settled, to firm up and to strengthen. And to guard means to watch and to remain safe. So in other words, as long as you keep yourself in the word of God, knowing the word of God, following the word of God, obeying, applying, same thing, kind of, the word of God, right? He will, he's got his eye on you. He's protecting you. He's guarding you. And the word will establish you. It will settle you. You're a little nervous. You're a little afraid. I've had stuff happen before. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I go to the word. I'm like, Lord, what do I do about this? And then you, you look down and there it is. It's like, trust me, this is my battle. This is not yours. I will handle this. I got this. I mean, whatever, you know, he doesn't talk quite that hip to me, but you know, his word will just say like, I'm taking care of this. Now I have two choices. Do I receive and believe? Thank you, Lord. You do. You got this. Or do I go, I, I got to find something else. I, there's got to be another, I, I need something. I, I, I can't just believe what God says to me. Check the scriptures out. That doesn't go well for people when they have that thought. I can't believe what God said to me. That was Pharaoh's problem. God said, and Pharaoh hardened his heart against it. Don't, don't let yourself go there. Establish and guard you by his word, right? And Paul is even confident there, he says in verse four, he's confident in the Lord that these things that he's commanding them, and notice that Paul, like he keeps using the word command, we command, command, like, oh, whoa, that's a really powerful word. Can't we just suggest that we follow this? I mean, I have my rights, don't I? No, Paul is saying, this is what God is saying to protect you and establish you. He's commanding by the Holy Spirit that this is how we should walk and be. This is what it is, right? So in other words, it's not an option, right? You take yourself out of the word. You take yourself out of that hedge of protection that God put around you. You will be overtaken by fear, by jealousy, by confusion, by reason, by logic, right? By sight. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith as believers. So we've got to so be careful, man. This, it's been said, I don't know who said it, but it's, it, it, you know, I, I don't know, everybody quotes it once in a while, right? But this book will keep you out of sin. But sin will keep you out of this book. So if you're not finding yourself running to the word of God in those places of question, confusion, doubt, fear, uncertainty, seeking of direction, if you're not going here first, why? This, we're not going to ask for a show of hands, but just consider that, right? Right? Paul is commanding us that we do this. And that, man, it will in every way just steer up, steer, steer us up. And note too, that as he commands us, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into patience in Christ, verse five, right? It's not just about the word, but it is the word steered up in love. Love is to be our motive. 
So we have to have that motive of love also kind of directing us because love of God keeps us level, level-headed, level-hearted. Without understanding and having that trust in God, which is why Paul starts in chapter 1 with that foundational truths of all God has done and how he is going to take care of those that come against us. And then in chapter 2, hey, don't worry about this. I am not sentencing you to wrath. I am going to come and I'm going to take you out. And it's all because I love you. And we get this idea of, man, God loves me. He loves me. But if you start to doubt that, it's going to skew or unlevel the way you think about circumstances and situations you're in. If you don't filter everything through the fact that God loves you, has a purpose for you, and it's not for destruction, but a hope in a future, and that, that's not just something Christians throw out there. It's something you have to really believe in your heart. Because the minute something happens, the circumstance or the situation that is harsh or hard to go through, the first thing that one of Satan's little helpers whispers in your ear is, if God really loved you, would this be happening? Yeah, you're right. And then pretty soon you doubt. And then you start to reason. And then you're going your own direction. And that can lead to you taking matters into your own hand, which is the worst thing because that gets you an Ishmael. Remember Abraham and Sarah? This ain't happening. I know God said, but we get impatient, right? And in fact, that's why he even says that he wants their hearts to be towards the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now, literally, you can use that as patience in what Christ is doing in you, through you, and has for you. Or you can, in context, you can use it as patience and waiting for Christ. Remember, the Thessalonians were wondering about that. Did we miss the coming of the Lord? Has it happened? What about Aunt Sue that died, you know, and, it, and oh my gosh, and she's going to miss it now. If we, if, when's he going to come? And, and that's why Paul went through that little doctrinal exhortation in chapter 2. It's not going to come until this, and this is what we know has to happen first. So relax, gain patience, which is endurance. So keep moving forward in what you know and, until it happens. Both are contextual. Right. In fact, in King James Version, it says it it, it, it doesn't say the patience of Christ. It says waiting for Christ in the King James Version. He wants you to understand that, man, he is coming and it's good. Right. And all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. It's not just a slogan. It's a truth. Love him. Be called to his purpose and know that everything that happens to you is working for your good, the good of following that, right? That's how you're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, Psalm 27, is by truly believing that. But he goes on to say, we command, again, there you are, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat any, anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toiled night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish, warn him as a brother. So Paul, again, just giving this practical application as we finish out, right? Another command. Is Paul on some kind of a power trip? No. Through the Holy Spirit, he is writing that these are the ways that we are to walk in the unity of the church to not only keep unity, but to cause, as he would say, shame, right? Or conviction to those that walk contrary, We are always to be our brother's keeper, always thinking about how God would have us to reconcile them to him and walking in the truths. That's what what he's looking for here, right? Now, he he specifically has don't, don't have like ungodly associations with brothers or sisters that uh, are walking contrary to the traditions. Right now, this doesn't. This isn't just talking about opinion. Although, if you practice this according to God's word, you will get plenty of opinion thrown at you. You'll get plenty of fingers pointed at you that will say you're not being very Christian. But this is God's word, not just what they think. This is what Paul is saying. When you've got somebody that's walking so contrary to what the word of God is doing, he says, withdraw from them. The word withdraw means avoid, abstain from association, from a brother. Again, he's talking about the church. Somebody in the church that wants to walk contrary to what they have delivered. Now, that's the condition. Notice that there is a condition. Those who walk. He's not talking about a brother or sister who stumbles or who falls. Galatians 6.1 makes it very clear. If somebody's in that state, you go to them to restore such a one in gentleness. And watch yourself that you don't stumble or fall. You know, but you go to them always to draw them back. So he's not talking about somebody who just had a, a, you know, a, a, a mishap, a, a happen, right? But it, this is talking about like persistent practice, somebody who's walking disorderly. And disorderly way means, it's a military term. It means somebody that walks out of rank or deviating from a credible rule, a a, a prescribed rule. So something that's already been laid down and somebody chooses to walk out of line with that. Well, what is a prescribed rule? Or what what are these traditions that Paul's talking about? Because when you say traditions, some people think about, well, that means the candle lighting, right? And the incense and the... No, we're not talking about the traditions of men or church dogma stuff like what denominations will come up with, right? We're talking about literally what they have handed down. If you look at um, chapter 2, verse 15, Therefore, uh, brethren, 
Stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by the epistles. We're talking about God's word to us. This is what we stay true to. This is what we walk in, right? Not just traditions that man come up with. In fact, the word of tradition, it means precepts or instructions. Where do we get that? If you turn a page over, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These are just a few of them that Paul gave us already. That you would aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those that, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So Paul gave us some instructions. Be a testimony, be a witness, live a quiet life, work with your hands. This is all, and, and you know, he brings that same kind of quality to what he's talking about right here, right? But if somebody's not doing that, separate yourself from them. Now, this is not about shunning. You know, my, my son-in-law, Eli, who was raised in the first few years of his life in the Amish tradition, his family are still shunned. They, they moved from Indiana to Montana, and they're still shunned by the Amish in Montana because they came to faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, the law of the religion, they didn't want to follow. It didn't make sense. And so they are shunned from the community. Well, that's not the idea here. You don't just, we're not going to talk to you. We don't want anything to do with you. No. The first thing you do, because of that love that Paul is praying they go to, is that you go to your brother, Matthew 18, 15, right? You go to them one-on-one, share with them what you see, what they need to turn from, or what has stumbled you because of the way they've done it that they might be restored to you. And then it goes on to say, and if, if they won't receive you, then take another brother or two with you, that you can go and talk to them privately. You don't tell other people, right? Because if you tell other people, two things happen. One, when they do receive and they are restored, you don't go back and tell everybody you told that they were off, that they're now on. So now everybody's out there going, oh, I heard about that guy, he's a little off. And nobody wants, they start shunning them, right? And two, because if you go out and start what is called gossiping, right, to others, then it proves to that one who you would want to restore or want actually to receive the truth of God that you weren't ever really sincere about wanting restoration anyway because you just wanted humiliation and embarrassment. So that's why the word is given to us. That's why the guidelines are here, that we might protect the truth and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And walk as the church, the restorer of the breach, the ones who stand in the gap, the ones who bring healing. Man. So you have to watch, you know, and again, why you withdraw is not to punish them. It's not to crush people. It's that he makes it clear that they might be ashamed in, in verse 14, right? That they might realize, man, I'm, I'm so ashamed. I'm, I'm actually not acting right, like I'm, I'm, I'm really not what the church should be doing. I'm, I'm not really representing Christ. And they'd come back, and they'd come to truth, and they'd be restored. And the unity of truly what Christ has for us as a body would, would be proven. And then the world would go, man, you guys really do live in love for one another. That's supposed to be our testimony. Remember, John tells us, 
That's how we'll be known as the disciples. I love this. But again, the world will point at you and say you're being judgmental and that's not fair, but God is saying withdraw from them that it might put them to shame. And, and that truly, you know, I've, I've walked in this before and you will get, you'll get accused, right? Now, he does bring it to a practical application. I, I don't want to labor this too long because it's all real obvious about the fact that Paul is lifting up himself and the team as the witnesses to follow. Right there, basically, it's like, you want to know what this is supposed to look like? Look, when we worked among you, we, we worked among you. We didn't take any of your bread without paying you for it. We didn't get anything free, even though who doesn't like free food, all right? If there's a banquet going on, we're there, right? But he's saying, we never did that. We labored, we worked, we showed you the example of what it looked like. Pastors, leaders, the church is supposed to example what it really is to be responsible for the resources and, and what God has given us to then move his kingdom forward in the land of the living that others might join in and want that same, that same fellowship and blessing. Not just the blessing of stuff, but the idea of, like, of, of lifestyle, right? And, and, and I love it. I, the idea that Paul would say, hey, you want to know what a Christian looks like? Let me, let, me, no, let me rephrase that. You want to know what a follower of Christ looks like? Look at my life. You want to know what a leader is supposed to look like? Watch me. Can you say that? Can I say that? We're supposed to be able to say that. Paul says it. Look at me. Look at what, 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 how I live. Look how I walk. This is how our Savior wants us represented. Now, if anything would be different from that, then trust the Lord to bring that under his power. Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, my Lord, my favorite fruit. Favorite fruit of love, self-control. Because I needed that. I was out of control when I came to Christ. So the fact now that part of the love that he gives me is self-control, amen and yes. Can I have double-fold of that or whatever they say that, tenfold, right? Man, because that's what the church needs to show because how many pastors have we seen revealed through like helicopter shots of their house, their mansions, right? And, or their lifestyles, of the rich and famous, and there's Pastor so-and-so, you know, on vacation again. I and, the tr and the world looks on and goes, hypocrites. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Even the church looks on sometimes and goes, hypocrites. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. And they leave. They walk out of the church because they see the, the, the hypocrisy of it. Right? Now, if that pastor is perverted, influenced in his wickedness, the whole church, they go right on. Our pastor needs that Mercedes. Our pastor should have the biggest house. He's a king's kid. And so we just want to give and give and give. So he's the most wealthiest, bestest pastor ever. And they receive it. God will judge according to his word. That's what it says, right? Paul breaks it down real easy 
Again, just the, this idea, and I'm sure if you're a parent, you've said this, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, my kids aren't, oh, Danon's here, but he's, well, he's, he, I didn't raise him, but he does work. But the idea, my kids all had jobs that were appropriate their whole lives growing up in the house. Chores, you know, that kind of a thing. And it wasn't even about getting an allowance. I don't know if we ever gave them allowance. Well, because they were already sleeping in my bed and eating my food. So it was just like, you don't work, you don't eat. I don't know. I, and you want money too? Come on. You know, no, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they were taken care of, but they all seem to grow up okay. They made it, right? But um, now he's not talking about people that are, you know, physically limited, disabled, or can't find a job. He's not talking about that. There are times when, man, I was out of work and the church had to come alongside of Jan and I and help us. I remember one Christmas, we had nothing for the kids. And there was a benevolence organization through the church that gave us stuff so our kids had something, right? And, and, it, and it's a humbling place to be. But I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't change the experience that I had doing that because at the same time, when I was offered work, I knew to take work. I didn't turn my nose up at it because it wasn't the right kind of work or it didn't pay the right amount, or it wasn't. It was beneath my stand, or whatever it was. And, and praise God, I've always been able to work and serve in ministry so that there was always a balance of my life of being out in the world and working among them to understand what they still go through as I come into the church and work among the church. Because we're all supposed to be working here, right? This is just the Sunday morning gig I have, you know, getting to talk. So everybody's got a gift and a calling. They're supposed to be exercising. But we all have that place. I've always worked outside of the ministry. Praise God, I've always had that opportunity. So Paul is just saying, that's what we need to be doing as representatives. Now, whether or not the Thessalonians, some of them were going, well, if Jesus is coming back any minute to get us, then <laughs> just, you know, hey, can I have a sandwich today? Because, you know, it could be any second now we're out of here. I don't know if they were sloughing off because of that. Some I know because of persecution, they had lost their jobs. And so maybe they were just figuring they don't have to get new jobs because, well, I'm a believer and people hate me now. So maybe the church should just support me. You know, I, I don't, I, but obviously he talked about it in First Corinthians and they hadn't obeyed and walked forward in obedience to it. And so now he's saying, separate yourself from them if they're going to have this attitude of, well, the church is just supposed to support me, right? And there are those in the church that feel that way. I mean, they, they see church and right away they're like, gimme. Can I have some money? No, you can't. Can I have some food? Sure. Hey, you want to rake up some leaves in the front yard for us? Sure. Okay. Great exchange. Learn to earn. Amen. We've done that here at the church. Then there's those that, hey, can you help me out with some money? No. Can I get you some food? Okay. I, I'd like a, a double Whopper, no cheese, and make sure that half of it has lettuce on it and not tomato. And then I'd also like some fries, but they got to be double fried because I like them crispy. And you're going like, food. Like, do you just want some food like to eat? But they've already got an agenda of what, they want the church to fulfill for them. And you just have to go, you know what? Sorry, I don't, I don't think we can help out in this situation. There are those that just scam the church. 
Every year in Chicago, we had a woman every spring. She would call. Her house just burned down, and her and her three kids were living in their car every spring. <laughs> and Jan would recognize her voice, you know? And she's like, oh, hi, car lady. No, Jan wouldn't do that, you know? But she was, Jan was much gentler than that as, as the pastor's wife. But she knew how to get through it. She's like, what's the address? Where's the house? Take it down. Okay, can I got a phone number I can call you back? Sure, because they always have cell phones. I don't know how they do that with losing everything, but they do have them. And then she would call the fire department. This house, this address, ever happen, ever fire? No, never heard of it. No, it doesn't exist, not an address. Okay, thank you. Every year. They just see church and they see free stuff. Free ride. Not to be. Now, we would help and we do help and it's supposed to be and we have a voucher system here in Whitefish. If somebody comes by the church and they want something, we actually have a voucher system that we give them. They can go and get food at Safeway. They can go get a tank of gas if they need gas to get to work and to get somewhere. If they are traveling through and they need a place to stay desperately because they don't want to sleep under the tracks or something, we, we, have, we provide that, you know, but it needs discernment and there is a way that it should be walked in, Right? And then Paul just says, look, don't grow weary in doing good. In other words, when you show up to work and nobody else does, work unto the Lord. Do it unto him. Don't be worried about the other guy that didn't or the other woman that never has. You do unto him what he's called you to do and keep your face like Flint doing it because it's him that you'll get your reward from. It's him that you, that, that, that's called you to do it, right? And so don't, don't shrink back. And in fact, bring somebody along, come alongside of them that they would be even ashamed to know they haven't been acting right and that they might turn. That's why it says there to, to admonish them, warn them, like this is how you're supposed to act. This is how we're actually supposed to be, right? And that you would turn another. He closes out with a prayer, a benediction. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand. And Paul, remember, he had an eye problem. And so he had a, a, a secretary, basically, in a mensual that would take down his, he, you know, he'd dictate his letters to. But when it came down to signing it, man, they'd put, the, they'd put a pen in his hand and they'd put it where it was a bow. And he would sign it personally because he wanted the church to know this is the word of God coming to you. This is God breathed, right? So he'd sign it in his own hand, which he does in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So peace, whether you've got peace in your life, you've got internal struggle going on because of stuff that you're battling with or people coming at you or the peace of watching the world fall apart and oh my gosh, he's not coming back yet for us. Let the peace of God guard your heart and mind. Pray, lift those things to him for grace. And the favor of God is upon you, with you, because he's in you. That's what Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know and wants us to know and realize. Amen? Thank you for joining us for this study from the book of 2 Thessalonians this morning. If you would like more information about Salem Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.